All right. John 3.16 says this. In some of the most quoted words of really all time, Jesus said, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. And what I want to do this morning is I want to look at, at a couple of, of different stories, stories of two sons today. Um, the first son is God's one and only son, Jesus, who came, gave his life for us. We celebrated just a, a couple days ago on Good Friday how, how Jesus died on the cross for our sins. The first story we're going to look at is the story of Jesus, but alongside of that, um, we're going to look at the story of another son, a son who has no name. He's a character in one of the stories that Jesus told. The only name that he's been given is, is or the only name that he has that we know of is the name that he's been given throughout history, and that's the prodigal son. And his story, the prodigal son's story, is not just any story. His story is actually all of our stories as well. And um, I know on Easter, you know, typically what you do is you, the pastor gets up there and we, we just jump right to the end of the book of Mark or the end of the book of Matthew or Luke or John on these books in the Bible. We typically just jump right to the very end and we just dive right into Jesus coming out of the grave. We're going to get there eventually, so hold tight, we're going to get there. But we're going to start off by going to the, the middle of the book of Luke and in Luke chapter 15, Jesus tells this story, um, well-known story about the prodigal son. So if you've got a Bible app or you just want to maybe follow along the screens, that's where we're going to be at this morning is in Luke chapter 15. And the story begins like this. There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So the father divided his property between them. And then not long after that, the, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and squandered his wealth in wild living. So we've got a couple guys here. They've got a dad, and the dad's got this, this big inheritance that he's storing up for these guys. But the younger son decides he can't wait, and so he says, Dad, I want my share of the wealth now. And you've got to understand something, that in this culture, for this son to go to his dad and ask for his share of the inheritance was tremendously insulting. He was showing utter contempt for his dad, completely disrespecting his dad. He might as well have gone up to his dad and said, Dad, I wish you were dead because I want my share of the wealth now and you, getting al you being alive is getting in the way of that. So he goes up to his dad and says, Dad, I, I want it right now. And uh, so not only does he show contempt for his dad, disrespect for his dad, he's but he's also completely ungrateful. And on top of all that, he's showing that he does not trust his dad's plan because his dad's got a plan. He's got this wealth that he's saving up for his son. His dad's got a good plan that he's going to give that to his son when his son is ready. He's going to hang on to it until, he's older, until when he's older, um, when he can make the best decisions with it. But the son doesn't agree. The son goes, I want that money and I want it right now. He doesn't trust his dad. And our story is really no different. God created us to know him. Uh, God created us to experience him, to experience his joy, to experience life walking alongside of him. He, that's what he's created all of us for. But in effect, what we have said is, God, I don't like your way. I'd rather be doing things my way. And this is, uh, this is the essence of what sin really is all about, saying, God, I don't want to do it your way. I want to do it my way. And the Bible says that we all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us 
has turned to our own way. Each of us has been in a spot where we've gone, God, I don't want to do things your way. I want to do things my way. We all, like sheep, have gone astray, the Bible says. Now, I've never had sheep before, so I don't know a whole lot about sheep going astray, but I've had rabbits. And uh, uh, at one time in, uh, when I was a kid, my mom and dad, they thought they would be, give us, me and my two brothers, a gift, and so they gave each of us a rabbit. Mine was named Brownie, my uh, older brother's was Bugs, and my little brother was Whiskers. Super creative names for rabbits, right? Um, but we had these rabbits, and we had a good plan for our little rabbits' lives. We were going to provide them with food. Uh, we were going to provide them with shelter. We actually made this little hutch, and, and we, one of those hutches that you put on the ground. And then we thought, okay, we want these rabbits to be able to frolic and play. And so we made this little fence that kind of they, they could go out and play in, right? We had a good plan for their lives. We, we wanted what was best for, for these little rabbits. And uh, it, it was a good plan. And for a time, our rabbits, they, they really enjoyed this plan that we had for their lives. So much so that they wanted to bring little baby rabbits in, into the world to also enjoy this little tiny Garden of Eden that we had created for them as boys. And, and uh, these rabbits, they loved us. They trusted us. But eventually something happened the rabbits began to question us. And this is all a true story, by the way, this morning. They began to question us. They began to doubt us. And, and they, they would roam around in their little pen there, and they would look out, out past the, the, the fence at all the green or grass on the other side of the fence. And, uh, and so our rabbits and their, their bunnies, like sheep, they began to go astray. They began to actually dig little holes and little tunnels, and they, they burrowed their way under the fence to the other side of the fence. And one day, me and my brothers, we started to notice, okay, all of, we're starting to miss, miss rabbits here. You know, we started off with three, but then like rabbits do, pretty soon there was a lot of rabbits. And we had probably about 20 rabbits at one time, and we noticed, okay, they're just, where, where are they all going? We knew they were going out, but typically they would, they would burrow their way out, and then they would come back in at night or whatever, but they started to just disappear. We had no idea what was going on. Um, you see, our rabbits, they, they thought they were living it up outside of our plan, but what they didn't know is that someone else also had a plan for their lives. We'll call him the angry neighbor with the big, beautiful garden. Um, his plan was to kill and destroy those little rabbits. And one day, when, uh, so we kind of didn't really know what was going on. We're like, they disappeared. Uh, what's, what's happening? Well, we found out one day when one of our little rabbits came home, and in, one, in, his, in, in his little, cute little Easter bunny ears, he had a bullet hole through this one right here. <laughs> All the guys laugh, and the girls go, oh. <laughs> but we figured out what was going on. There was an enemy who had a big, beautiful garden that didn't want the best for those, those little bunnies. And you see, from the beginning of time, God's plan for, for you and for me has been a good plan. It's been that we know him. It's been that we walk with him, that we talk with him, that we have his life that we're singing about this morning, that we be just alive in Jesus, experiencing life and life to the full. But like the prodigal son, like the rabbits, like the sheep, the Bible says we've all just we've gone astray. Not one of us is left out. Not one of us has stayed inside the pen and trusted the Father's plan. At one time or another, we've just questioned, we've doubted, we just don't think He's got the best in mind for us, and so we've gone astray, the Bible says. 
In fact, the Bible puts it even more bluntly. It says this. It says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All have except one. The other son that we're talking about this morning. Jesus, God's only son, was different. Jesus said this. He said, I love the Father and do exactly what my Father has commanded me to do. He, he obeyed his Father 100%. So you've got two sons. You've got one son over here who doubts his father, while the other son, Jesus, trusts his father. In fact, Jesus trusted his father so much, he trusted his father's plan so perfectly that even when it was the father's will for him to die on a cross for the sins of the world, Jesus said, okay, I'll do it. And it's here that we find another comparison between these two sons. One son goes on a journey to find his life. You know, he gets all that money from his dad, and he's like, okay, I'm going to take off. I'm just going to go find life. I'm going to discover what life is all about. He goes on a journey to find his life, while the other son, Jesus, goes on a journey to lay down his life. This son over here is like, my dad's plan's not working for me. I've been at home long enough. It's just not happening. There's got to be better. There's greener grass out there on the other side of the fence. And so off he goes on a journey to a distant country, the Bible says. And, and the Bible says that, he left and he squandered everything he had on wild living. It's like he, he took all the money that his dad had coming to him and he went off to Vegas. He bought himself a nice hot sports car, blew all of his money on sex, drugs, and just living this crazy wild party lifestyle. And he doesn't even realize it, but he's been duped into thinking that that's living. He thinks he's finding life by living his life like that, but little does he know that with each passing day, he's actually just getting more bound up, more broken, more just further away from the good plan that his father has for his life. And maybe for you, it's not wild living, but, but what is it that you've been going to in order to find life? What is it that you've been chasing after? What is it that you've been going to to? To, to, to make you happy, to give you joy, to satisfy you, whatever you want to call it. What is it that you've been going to? Maybe it's, is it a relationship? Maybe you're thinking, if someone would just invite me to prom, then I'd be happy. If someone would just, would just ask me out, then I'd be happy. If, if I could just find someone to get married, or if, if my husband would just become more intimate, we could become closer together, then I'd be happy. If I could just be a little more popular at school and get some better friends, then I'd be happy. Is it a relationship, or, or maybe it's just you think you need bigger? If I could just get something bigger, I'd be satisfied and happy. Bigger paycheck. If I could just have a bigger house, a bigger truck, a bigger yard. If I could just have a bigger church, a bigger city to live in, a bigger TV, bigger boat, then I'll be happy. Or maybe big's not what you're after. Maybe you're after smaller. You just keep thinking, if I could just get my crazy, wild, cluttered lifestyle trimmed down, then I'll be happy. If I could get a smaller house, a smaller body, a smaller church, a smaller, less busy career in a smaller town, then I'll be happy. All of these, listen this morning, all of these will leave you empty every single time. Maybe satisfied for a moment, but certainly not satisfied for a lifetime and certainly not for an eternity. The prodigal's got this idea in his head that if he just heads off, goes to this distant country and, and squanders everything he has and gets everything that he wants, that he's going to be truly living. 
but we find that his story actually turns and takes a, a, a downhill trajectory in a hurry. The Bible says that after he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. Now, for a Jewish man to be feeding pigs is the modern-day equivalent of this guy being on skid row. He has totally reached the end of himself. He's broken. He's empty. All his friends have vanished. All hope seems to be lost. It's as if he's been left for dead. It's a similar situation that this other son, Jesus, eventually finds himself in. The one who was born the Savior of the world, the one who came to give his life away, to lay down his life for others, the one who the disciples had put all their hope in, eventually, eventually we find him hanging on a cross with no breath left in his lungs. And the Bible says that, that what happened next was as evening approached, there came a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph who had himself become a disciple of Jesus. Going to Pilate, he asked for Jesus' body, and Pilate ordered that it be given to him. Joseph took the body, he wrapped it in a, linen, in a clean linen cloth, and placed it in his own new tomb that he had cut out of the rock. And then he rolled a big stone in front of the entrance to the tomb and went away. Two sons, one son, this prodigal son is dead spiritually. This son over here, Jesus, is dead physically. One son dies because of, because of his sin. The other son, Jesus, dies because of our sin. The Bible makes it so clear in the book of Isaiah, chapter 53, that he was crushed for our iniquities, for our sin, for, for our pride, for our self-centeredness, for our envy, for our gossip, for our greed. Jesus died on the cross for our sins. And now Jesus and the prodigal son, they're both in a dark place. The body of Jesus lies in a dark tomb. The stone has been rolled in front of it. While the prodigal son, he's, he's got a, a different kind of darkness going on over here. It's the darkness on the inside that you get when you've been chasing after all this stuff to satisfy, to make you happy, to give you life. And then you, 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 get, you either get it or you just get tired chasing. But you get to that point where you go, this is not actually living. This is not satisfying this thing I got deep down inside. And sure, you can try and, and drown out the emptiness, to, to, to drown out the darkness, the loneliness, the pain. Some try to drown it out with diving into their career. They just go full bore into their career. Others try to drown it out with busyness, with just being active and, and having noise just constantly going on in their lives. Others will try to drown it out by partying or just some kind of addiction like drugs or alcohol. But at the end of the day, without Jesus, the darkness is still there. At the end of the day, this son, this prodigal son is, is still, he's dead in his sin. And what he needs is for someone greater, more powerful than him to make that which is dead come alive. He desperately needs someone to save him. But in our story, the only one who can save him is, is in a tomb. But that's not how the story ends, is it? The Bible says that after the Sabbath, at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the, and the other Mary, some followers of Jesus, they went to look at, look at the tomb. And there was a violent earthquake for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven 
and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothes were as white as snow and the guards were understandably just terrified. They were afraid of him, so afraid that they shook and became like dead men. And the angel said to the woman, do not be afraid for I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified and then the best news of all time, he is not here, he has risen. You see, at Easter, we remember what happened 2,000 years ago, this amazing, powerful event, the resurrection. We, we, it's, the, it's the most important event in all of history. In fact, the Bible says that the resurrection was such an important event that if it didn't happen, my standing up here this morning is a complete waste of time. If, you're, if you call yourself a believer in Jesus, if the resurrection didn't happen, the Bible says your faith is futile. The resurrection is the most important event in all of history, and we believe this, in this event called the re- resurrection, but you've got to understand something this morning. The resurrection is so much more than just an event. The resurrection is a person. Jesus said, I am the resurrection in the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. The resurrection isn't just an event. We didn't just come here today to celebrate an event that happened 2,000 years ago. We came here today to celebrate a person who is alive. And when you let Jesus' statement about how he's the resurrection in the life, when you let that statement just settle over you this morning, you realize that if Jesus is the resurrection, then anything that he touches has to get up. Anything that Jesus touches. When he touches a broken life, it has to get up and be made alive. When he touches a life that's empty, that's, that's, that, that's in despair, where hope has been utterly destroyed, it has to get up, be made alive, hope is restored. When he touches a life that's full of darkness, that's, been de- that's full of defeat, when he touches it, it has to get up and be made alive and, ha- and have the light of truth and victory just flood in. And when he touches a life that's, that's been dead, dead because of sin, It has to get up and be raised to life. Jesus is alive, and because Jesus is alive, you and I can be raised to life. This is good news for us today. Amen? This prodigal son is still in a bad spot. We've left him, and he's there. He's he's with the pigs. He's wishing that he had some of their food, but no one wants to help him out. But that's not how that story ends either. And our story doesn't have to end in despair either. The Bible says that something happens with this prodigal son as he's there with the pigs. All of a sudden, something shifts inside, and he remembers his dad. The Bible says he came to his senses, and he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am, starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father. Now remember, so this son has just totally shown, he's just completely disrespected his dad, he's turned his back on his dad, he's insulted his dad, he has not treated his dad kindly. And so as he begins to set out, heading back to his father, the Bible explains how he, he starts to craft together this, this, this forgiveness and this, this apology, this speech that he's going to give his dad. 
But the son has no idea just how great his father's love is. Because this just is, it's not just any father. Jesus told this story to, to give us a picture of how great our father's love is for us. How great Jesus' love is for you and for I. And so as the prodigal son journeys back home, the Bible says this. It says, while he was still a long way off, he's off in the distance, but he sees his house on the horizon. His father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son. He threw his arms around him and he kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. And here's the part that's so good for us. And this is what Jesus wants to do for you today. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Because of Jesus, we can have life. One son is raised to life through his father's love, while the other son, Jesus, is raised to life through his father's power. The Bible puts it so good. It says, Jesus, is, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we also may live new lives. Since we have been united with him in his death, we, we will also be raised to life as he was. There is no story doesn't matter how broken it might look. doesn't matter how, how, how just devastated, hopeless it might look. There's no, no person that, that Christ can't take what's dead and make it alive. And this morning what I want to do is I want to, um, just as we get ready to wrap up, I want to introduce you to someone who's fairly new around here. Um, his, his name is Dusty. Dusty and his, his wife Stephanie and their family moved here from North Carolina a few months ago, and already they've just, uh, just dove right in, just really grabbed the hearts of, of many of us in this church. And uh, so a few months ago, they moved from North Carolina over, over here, and the reason they moved wasn't because they wanted to have a change of scenery, it was because their uh, eight-year-old son just turned eight, his name is Lathan, he has brain cancer. And so... Uh, they'd been seeing the doctors over in North Carolina, and they, had, they, they told uh, Dusty and, and Stephanie that there's nothing more that they could do, and so they suggested that they come over here and see the doctors in Seattle. We've got some of the, the best doctors in the country when it comes to, to this kind of thing, and so they've, they've moved here, and I would just ask you this morning, if you believe that Jesus answers prayer, please put Lathan on your prayer list, and let's as a church just just begin to pray that God would work a miracle in this little guy's life. But Dusty's got this story of just how, it's very similar actually to the prodigal son's story. He was just at the end of his rope, just kind of at the end of himself. Uh, life was just darkness, just surrounded in darkness, hopelessness. And when he was in that place, Jesus just came and met him in a, in a powerful way. And so this morning, I want you to, to hear his story. My name is Dusty. And this is my story. I began abusing substances when I was nine years old. By the time I was 11, my mom had kicked me out because my drug habit was so bad. I was living on the streets and eating out of garbage cans to survive. When I was 20 years old, my best friend was shot six times in front of me. And the only thing I remember about that day 
I was trying to use my fingers to plug up the holes to stop the bleeding. He died as we pulled into the hospital. After this, my drug addiction only got worse. I attempted suicide multiple times and continued to spiral into my life of drugs. In 2005, because of my addiction, I lost custody of my boys. After over 20 years of living the only life I had known of drugs, drinking, and doing whatever seemed right in the moment, I had to do something different. In March 2007, my kid's mother left the area. My relationship with their mother, who was also struggling with her addictions, was so bad that I followed her to Washington in order to cause her harm. The taxi cab driver that picked me up knew something was wrong, so instead he took me to my first AA meeting. My life changed that day, and on March 7th of 2007, I decided to live sober. When I became sober, something in me changed, but I don't know what exactly. The only explanation that I have is God. I began to see he was working in my life. Even though I didn't place my faith in him just yet, I was finally able to put the anger and resentment over my best friend's death aside instantly. My youngest son, Lathan, was born exactly one year after I became sober. My kid's mom continued to struggle, and I was about to lose my kids to social services. I went to court over my boys, and I told the judge, if you can find God in your heart, give me one more chance, and not put them up for adoption, I won't let you down. Six months later, I had custody of my kids. It was then that I knew God was real more than anything else, and I have placed my faith in God. Since then, my life has been completely different. And two days ago, on March 7th, I celebrated seven years being sober. Since accepting Christ, my life has not been easy, but God has continued to bless me. I met and fell in love with Stephanie, who loved me when I couldn't love myself. I started going to the most awesome church ever. I do my best to encourage others and to be the change that I wish to see in the world. Everything in my life is 100% different than it was. I'm in bed sleeping by 8 p.m. and I wake up with my kids every morning at 5.30. My children know who God is and attend church with me. And I promise them they would never have to live like I did growing up. And God helps me every day to make that possible. I strive every day to tell my story because through it, God allows me to impact people and spare people the same pain, although some people may judge me and others may accept me. That really doesn't matter to me. I just want people to see God for who he is and how he can change one man from being scum to an upstanding citizen with a beautiful family. His love is bigger than our sin and filth and I want people to hear my story because it is a story of hope. If God can change me and work in my life, he can change yours too. My story is just another story in a long line of stories about God's redeeming love. Yeah, isn't that awesome? Yeah. Hey, Dusty, thanks for letting us uh, hear that this morning. Thanks for sharing your story. You know, it's because Jesus is alive that we can hear a story like that. You hear me? If Jesus wasn't alive, we wouldn't be hearing that story this morning. But Jesus is alive. He, he's, he's not alive and out there somewhere. He's alive and right here this morning in this place. 
And I don't know where you're at this morning. I don't know what your situation is. It is, but there is, is, is no life that's so broken that Jesus can't come in and make it alive. If there's, if there's nothing else the resurrection proved, it's that, that Jesus can take the most dead, lifeless, broken situation and he can make it alive. And so this morning, wherever you're at, you know, maybe, maybe you just been, have, have just been wandering away from God and, and have not really been following him and you're going after, chasing after all the other stuff and, and this morning, maybe you're just being reminded all over again, okay, that stuff is not, that's not what living is. That's, that's, that it's just not working. It's, it, Jesus is the way. This morning, he's here this morning, just like that, that, that father in that story with his arms wide open. That's Jesus' posture this morning towards you. He's not full of anger. He's not full of judgment and condescension. And He's like this. He's saying, come back to me. Come back to me. And maybe you're here this morning. Your story, you're just at, maybe you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus. And this morning, you just hear God speaking to you through the, the, the songs, through the, the sermon, through, through Dusty's story. And you hear this, this tug down deep in your heart. That's, that's the Holy Spirit working in your heart, saying, come to me. He is the way, he's the truth, and the life. And he's alive, he's well, and he's here today working in this place. Hey, would you spend some time just praying with me this morning as we wrap up this morning? Lord, you truly are the resurrection. You truly are the life. Jesus, I'm so thankful that this morning we, don't, we just don't look back on the resurrection as some historical event. But Lord, this morning we celebrate the one who is the resurrection and the life. Lord, I thank you that there's no life that's too far from you, that's too broken, too hopeless, that you can't come in and breathe life. Jesus, because you are the resurrection and the life, everything you touch has to get up has to be made alive. And so, Lord, I pray that this morning you would do that work in our hearts. Do that work in our hearts. And I'm just going to ask you to keep your head bowed, bowed and your eyes closed for just a second. There was a, a moment in the prodigal son's journey where he, he, he came to his senses, where he, he kind of figured that, okay, this is just not it. This is not what life is all about. There's, there's, there's got to be something more. I'm this, this is just not working. The Bible says he came to his senses, but he didn't just come to his senses. The Bible also says that he got up and went back to his father. And this morning, I'm going to ask you to do something in just a second. If you're here and you feel like God is saying, come back to me, I want to pray for you. And I'm just going to ask in a second, if, if that's you, if whether you've never put your faith in Jesus before, or whether you've wandered away from Jesus and you just hear him saying this morning, come back to me. If you're here this morning, you're going, yeah, I'm going to come back to Jesus. I'm going to ask that you stick your hand up nice and high. Anybody here? So awesome. So awesome. I see your hands. Thanks. Anybody else? You hear, you just hear the Spirit of God working in your heart saying, come back to me. Awesome. Thanks for putting your hands up. Jesus, I, this is evidence that, Lord, you are alive and that you are working and that you are moving in hearts. And, Lord, I pray for each person, Lord, this morning that has put their hand up, indicating that, Jesus, they are, are coming to you, putting their faith and trust in you. Lord, I just want to start off by, first of all, saying thank you so much 
Lord, there's a party, a celebration that happens in heaven every time someone gives their life to you, Jesus. I think that that's what's going on right here, right in this moment. An Easter party is going on in heaven. And Lord, I pray for these, these people that put their hands up this morning. Lord, I pray that they would just know your love. God, may they never question your love for them. Your love that doesn't change based on what we do or don't do. It just stays the same. May, God, may they always know your love and stay rooted and established in your love for them. And Lord, I also pray that Jesus, uh, you would help them uh, find people, find others in their lives who can come alongside of them on this journey of following you, this journey of faith. Lord, I pray that you bring people around them that are going to support them, that are going to speak into their life, that are just going to help them understand what it means to be a follower of you, Jesus. And Lord, I just want to thank you for life today. Thank you that you still today make dead things come to life. You truly are um, the, the victor. You're the conqueror. Thank you, Jesus, that death has no sting. Thank you, Jesus, that you have conquered the grave. You've conquered hell. You've conquered death once and for all when you rose from the dead. Thank you so much for that. And Lord, I just want to, in, in closing, pray for us as a church that, Jesus, we would not be a church that keeps this message inside of us. God, I pray that this, this message of Easter, that, that our God is alive, I pray, God, that that would burn within us. It'd be like a fire shut up in our bones, that, Jesus, we would be a people that does not rest, God, until we get that message out. God, may we take that message to our neighbors, coworkers. God, I pray that we would take it to the very ends of the, the earth, that, Jesus, you are alive, that you have risen. I pray all this in your good, good name, Jesus. Amen. Amen, amen, amen.